You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. Welcome, everybody. This is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era and improv new stories right now off the dome to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies, TV shows, and games. I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we were raised by rentals. Mike, it's our fifth episode. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm going to keep yelling at you at the, at the beginning of every episode in case you hadn't caught on to the pattern yet. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um. So, hey, we were just talking before the recording, and I think that we are going to do something interesting today. Uh, well, I should say I know we're going to do something interesting today. And, man, my heart is just, like, beating because I am genuinely nervous about this conversation. <laughs> and I think it's going to be exciting, and I'm definitely on the edge of my own seat uh, just hoping that we can – really, really stretch the limits of our creative uh, muscles and energy uh, to do something interesting today uh, with what, for me at least, is a pretty unfamiliar property, one that I know you know, about that was a huge part of my like tween childhood, but one that I haven't had any engagement in <laughs> in a really long time. Uh, so I can't just, you know, rattle off all the mythos off the top of my head, like with Friday the 13th or the Goonies or you with, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street. This is one that's uh, where I was doing research like today, like I was reading stuff and, you know, yep. uh, and, you know, we watched a movie yesterday. Um but uh, yeah, you know, so far we've mostly done franchise properties where we, we come on. A movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, well, I've got some commentary, and I know you do too, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, so far we've done uh, pop culture franchises or properties that I think we really liked a lot, and this mm-hmm. one is a mixed bag of stuff I really like, stuff I don't care about, and stuff that I really despise. <laughs> right there with you, man. <laughs> Um, so Mike, what the hell have we gotten ourselves into this time? (laughs) Well, we are going to reimagine the Street Fighter movie. Um, so for anyone who, uh, didn't grow up in the nineties and missed the zeitgeist that was the fighter franchises of, uh, Capcom Street Fighter, uh, came out, I want to say it was 1987 was the original Street Fighter game. Now, most of us did not play that game. Most of us didn't even know it existed. It was one of those kind of not very popular one-on-one fighting games. But it was popular enough that they tried to make a... uh, Well, they tried first with Final Fight to to make uh, a sequel to Final Fight. But Final Fight was originally supposed to be a sequel to Street Fighter. It was very convoluted. But they made Street Fighter 2. Now, most people will know Street Fighter 2. You know, the the Mm one-on-one, eight-player, or uh, eight-character fighting game with four boss characters. And then there was 8,000 iterations of street fighter two. You had championship edition, turbo, super, super turbo. (laughs) Then the illegal editions (laughs) like rainbow edition, stuff like that. So it it got crazy. Uh, It it took from 1991 when street fighter two came out until I want to say 97 when part three finally came out. And between part one and part three, there was like 14 entries into the franchise. So, (laughs) kind of shows you uh, how crazy this this game was 
But in 1994, we were graced, <laughs> graced with a uh, <laughs> a film adaptation, a live action adaptation of the. I can't even say it was an adaptation, a live action version of these characters because it had nothing to do with the game. And they even made a Street Fighter the movie, the game, which, whoo, that was that was really bad. But I was a big fighting game fanatic when I was a kid. Um, Street Fighter 2 definitely got me interested. I became more of a Mortal Kombat kid. You want the history of Mortal Kombat up to and including the new stuff? I gotcha. <laughs> you know, like, I'm still playing those games. Street Fighter, I definitely fell off the bandwagon with. But uh, so what we are going to talk about um, is I understand there's many iterations. Keep that in mind. We're, we're mainly focusing on Street Fighter 2, which they used as the basis for the film. So I'm going to suggest a challenge right off the top. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so keep in mind, the, the original Street Fighter roster was just, it was eight characters with four bosses, so 12 characters in total. I know the 1994 movie included the characters from Super Street Fighter, uh, which was T-Hawk, Cammy, Faylong, and DJ. I don't care if we include them. We can if we want. I'm mainly thinking of the original grouping. Now, here's, here's my challenge. For anybody that is out there listening to this that is a fan of video games turned movies... You will know they all share one thing in common up to more recent entries of Hollywood finally listening to, you know, fans wanting these movies made. All of them don't give a shit about the video game. <laughs> it's very much like uh, when cartoon properties became <laughs> films or action figures became films. Hollywood was like, ah, fuck the source material. Let's do our own thing. So my challenge is we make this. Uh, in that mindset. So we don't say, hey, what's the real story for Street Fighter? And let's make a, a more accurate portrayal of Street Fighter into a film. I'm saying, can we do a better film than Street Fighter the movie? Keeping the Hollywood mindset of, well, it's, it's fighting games. Shouldn't it be about a war or shouldn't it be about something <laughs> like, you know, keep that in mind that we can go way off the beaten path with what the quote unquote plot of this is. Um, and do something crazy with it while still being a better film than we got in 1994. <laughs> so, uh, like I, I have said before, um, and we will eventually get to this, but I've said before the Super Mario Brothers movie. I love that movie. It's absolutely ridiculous, and it's not a Super Mario Brothers movie, but it's a fun, crazy, post-apocalyptic comedy. And I love it. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm getting at with this, like, Okay. Can we make an interesting film that has the Hollywood mindset of what a video game movie should be? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's that. That's a good challenge. And uh, honestly, that whew, I'm kind of wiping my forehead a little bit because I'm like, okay, I can make up a story, but like trying to adapt, <laughs> trying to adapt a game that's basically based on you fight this guy and then you fight this guy is. It's yeah. where it's like this. It's a whole. It's like the whole game is around Robin competition with very little plot and like the backstory of the characters is barely there like they're all stereotypes and trying to adapt uh, a game any of the games uh, mm -hmm. into a movie i think would just be you know kind of pointless because we would either just end up casting real life people to act out scenes that are already in the game that we don't really need to adapt or it would just be boring as hell 
Um, so yeah, so that that's interesting, and I think we can do something nuts. And I'm glad that you mentioned Super Mario Brothers, the movie, because I agree with you. I think that movie is fun as hell. It's mm-hmm. batshit in terms in terms of an adaptation. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's like it's like they just took the names of characters or things from the game and they were like, you know, Toadstool, like, and they just came up with their own thing based on what they thought the name implied. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it seems like, you know. What, what's Mario's last name? Oh, fuck it, it's Mario. He's Mario Mario. They're the Mario <laughs> Brothers, right? Isn't that their last name? Like, that's like some some Hollywood exec who's like, that's the Mario Brothers, you know? Like, Luigi this... Mario, Mario, Mario. Exactly. What's his first name? His first name is Mario. No, but his last name is Mario because they're the Mario Brothers. Yeah, it's like, it's like a, there's a whole, like, who's on first, like, routine there that I don't want to get into. Right. Uh, <laughs> but that also reminds me, not of a video game, but just this whole Hollywood mindset of, like, adapting something. But I think that there, there, there probably at least was for a long time this mindset of, like, the, the source material cannot be, quote-unquote, mature enough to be good if it's right. based on on a, you know, once again, quote unquote, child's property like a video game or a comic book or a Saturday morning cartoon, which is why the He-Man or, or correct me or sorry, the Masters of the Universe movie is so fucking weird, you know, yeah. uh, with the, the, with Dolph Lundgren. And that's another movie that I enjoy. That's oh, a, same. That's a dumb as hell movie that I think is still awesome. And I loved it when I was a kid, even as a kid in the movie theater, seeing it and wondering why it was so different than the cartoon, the He-Man cartoon or even why the He-Man comic books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what is going on? And who are these characters? Like, why did they invent new characters when there's perfectly good characters on the show? Get, you know, get like, rid of Courtney Cox. Where's Stratos, damn it? Exactly. And who the fuck is Gwildor? Like, you've got Orko. Like, what's the point? Like, right. That, that was the thing that I found so bewildering. It's like you're just inventing new characters when you already have a character that fills the role that whatever, you know, whatever it's... archetype you're trying to fill, like you already have a character that does that. Yeah. So why, why are you inventing new ones? Like, that, And I think Hollywood does that all the time. They just make up new characters. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I will excuse me to go on a rant for a second, but the most recent Mortal Kombat film. They had, oh, God, it was so painfully bad, in my opinion. But um, they create a character to be like the um, uh, voice or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking Not analog. Um, I guess avatar of the audience, where it's like, so we're seeing the story through his mm. eyes. And it's like, this guy does, he's, has nothing to do with the video game. The first Mortal Kombat movie, which I will argue was probably the only a successful video game adaptation that stayed true-ish to the game's story and still told you a solid movie up until Silent Hill in 2006, I think they came? 2006 Mm -hmm. or 2007, I can't remember. But I think Silent Hill was the first one to be, like, true to the story and and still kind of do its own thing, but, but keep enough from the games that, like, it was a satisfying film adaptation. Mortal Kombat was the only other one I can think of. Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the sequel, was god-awful, and this newest Mortal Kombat bugged the shit out of me for several reasons, but that was one of them. I'm like, who is this Cash Cole guy? Like, what happened to Johnny Cage? He was our avatar in the original movie. He was the guy that was thrown into this crazy fantasy world that we could relate to. We don't need this Mm. brand-new, made-up-for-Hollywood bullshit. Um, So, yeah, that always drives me freaking nuts. Wait, the character's name is Cash Cole? Yeah. Like, 
Cole, Ca- Cole Cash, who's Grifter from the Wildcats in the it, comic books. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway. Something, something like that. Cole Cash. I can't remember. I think it's Cash Cole. Um, I can't, I watched it once and was angry the entire time. <laughs> Either way, it's, it's a it's a dumb name. I'm a huge yeah. fan of the Wildcats. But I remember even being 12 or 13 years old and reading Wildcats comics and finding out the character of Grifter, who's like, you know, the coolest character uh on the on the team you know he's like the punisher wolverine type and finding out his name was cole cash i literally thought it was like uh, oh he's he's going undercover it's like a pseudonym and we'll find out his real name later but no his name is straight up cole cash (laughs) (laughs) so and his brother's name is max cash oh god oh i'm sorry it's cole it's cole young i think i got the grifter thing thrown in i just looked it up yeah cole young I was like, why, why am I keep saying cash? But yeah, that's probably freaking Wildcats memory thrown in there. <laughs> All right, but, that's uh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, so I had to correct myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll take any excuse to talk about the Wildcats. Anyway, so now we're on the subject. We're going to have an hour-long show about a Wildcats movie adaptation. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we can maybe get there. They did make a cartoon. We could we could do something with that. I still uh, want to touch on the Image Universe and 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 talk about what it would be like to make a uh, or an adapt one of those comics into a film in the early nineties, much oh, like this, yeah. where it's like, you know, how are we going to do this with that Hollywood mindset? I think that would be fun to do with those comics. But one, one of the quick things I was going to say with, with video game movies is it's like, I mean, seriously, if you look at the roster of video game films, and this includes street fighter, very few had anything to do with the com or uh, the do with the source material. So you got super Mario brothers, nine, uh, 93, Double Dragon, 94. Do you, do you remember Double Dragon? The movie? <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot oh, about it until you just said it. Holy God. It was, it so, was bad. so bad. Then, <laughs> uh, like I said, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Wing Commander, another notorious flop. Whew, that God. was hard to watch. Now, while I will say I enjoyed the first Tomb Raider movie, uh, the one with Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. it wasn't really Tomb Raider. Very much like the first Resident Evil movie. I enjoy it for what it mm-hmm. is. But it's not Resident Evil. Um, and then you have movies that really hit that, like, high mark of crap. Um, like, the highest echelon of shitty movie with House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, and Blood Rain. <laughs> Those are all, like, holy God, like, did they even play the games? Like, I think they just heard the name and were like, we can work with that. Like, yeah, and and then just just bad movies like forget yeah. bad adaptation, just bad movie. Like, right. uh, what did what did they think that they were doing? They they were literally just trying to like exchange their budget for the cash of anybody who played the game that they knew would come and buy a ticket. Like they were they were like yeah, it's like we put a movie out, we get the money from those dumb gamers, and you know, and and we go on to the next low budget stinker. Oh shit, I was a mark. <laughs> Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Not me, man. I never paid for that crap. But but I was there in 1994 watching Jean-Claude Van Damme in oh, Street God. Fighter with Raul Julia, hot off the success of, uh, at least in my mind, as a you know 14 year old, hot off the success of the Adams Family movies. You know, he had an actual career before that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's just and and what's crazy is um, there's actually like. I won't say it's a good cast necessarily, but I was even as a kid kind of surprised that they got actors who I didn't know, at least, you know, yeah. for some of the roles like, you know, Kylie Minogue and even though I don't know his real name, but they got, you know, Manu Manu the Slender from Necessary Roughness to play E. Honda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And uh, who's the guy that plays DJ? What's his name? Um, oh, uh, Miguel Nunez. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I love that I, dude. I, I was gonna say honestly, like, okay, let's just get into Street Fighter the movie. Our because we got we got to rant about this for a minute. The <laughs> the actual film. The only parts I like about it, I love freaking Raul, Raul Julia on this. He plays the best over the top, <clears throat> like ridiculous cartoon villain. And he just kills it. Like he leans into it. He's like, screw it. I know I'm in a cartoon movie. Like I am in a, <laughs> a complete crap movie, but I'm going to do what I can to make this awesome. And he was great. I loved him. And I love Miguel Nunez. There's one delivery by Miguel Nunez that, I laugh so damn hard every time. Like I actually had to pause the movie last night watching it where Guile fakes his death and they all see it on TV. And he goes, he says to Bison, Oh, this is wonderful news. Congratulations. And he goes wrong. I mourn. He goes, okay. The way he says, okay. <laughs> every time I lose it. Cause it's just, it's so immediate. And he's like, Oh, well, whatever. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, that reminds me, too, uh, you know, spoiler for the end of the movie when DJ is trying to escape Mm -hmm. and he runs into uh, Zangief. And um, I I understand that he's not a great person in real life, but Andrew uh, Bernarski, I think think that's how you pronounce it, the actor Mm -hmm. who plays Zangief, he was in uh, Higher Learning and uh, in Any Given Sunday and – um, other good movies I can't think of off the top of my head, but I actually was a big fan of him as an actor uh, in the 90s, and so I was pretty stoked that he played Zangief, and I thought he had really great like comedic delivery, especially yes. at the end when he was like, you know, Empison is bad. <laughs> you got paid. <laughs> I, my favorite joke with him is when the they're watching the the truck filled with TNT like roll toward the base. And they're like looking at it on the screen, then looking out the window and seeing it roll toward them, then looking at it on the screen. And he just goes, quick, change channel. Yeah. (laughs) It's so dumb, but again, it gets me every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Miguel Nunez gives him this like side side eye look of like, what'd you say? You know, (laughs) the two of them were a good comedic duo. But yeah. So yeah, we had Jean Claude Van Damme, Raul Julia, Ming Na Wen, right, who had some success in the 90s, Kylie Minogue, who probably was past her time even by 1994 but right. you know whatever like there were some like good actors in the movie and and quite a few of them and they stuck in a shitload of characters um a shitload of references to the video game oh my god not the story but just like random weird references like it was almost like they were trying to impress people with their deep cuts so that yep. you wouldn't you wouldn't pay attention to the fact that the plot made no fucking sense whatsoever <laughs> it yep. was just completely bonkers but i will say my commentary on on Street Fighter, the 1994 movie, is that as a kid, being a huge fan of the, specifically the SNES version of the game, and then seeing the movie, walking out, and I literally never played a Street Fighter game ever again after that. <laughs> That's it. Like, I was done with Street Fighter, and then haven't seen it since, so 14 years old to how old I am now, and I watched it last night, or correction, I tried to watch it because I... Put it on at like 11 p.m. thinking I'm just going to watch this movie. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to relax and go to bed when I'm done. I got 35 minutes into the movie and then I woke up at like three in the morning on the couch with like a crick in my neck because I had just passed the fuck out. Yep. 
I was so yeah, I, bored. And then I woke up this morning and tried to finish it. It took me three additional sittings to get through it today. Yes. Well, that's like I was texting you last night, about like warning you about how yes. how hard this was. Because it, it felt like it took me three hours to get through this hour and 40 something minute movie. Because I kept having to pause it and like groan. <laughs> I was like, I'm so, oh, God, this is painful. But I kept checking the timestamp. The third time I checked the timestamp, I was only 40 minutes in. I was like, oh, my God, like, how much yeah. longer do I have to endure this? So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I've only seen this movie two other times. I saw it once in the theater. And then I remember watching it with a group of friends. God, early 20s? Because I, I was living here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I had to be my early 20s. But it was uh, that was the only other time I watched this movie. <clears throat> and it's always been bad. I've never enjoyed it. I will say watching it this time with a more critical eye, I did pick up on a lot of like the little funny, like tongue in cheek jokes that they were really trying to stick in there to, to make the audience laugh and just kind of failing. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the like good morning Vietnam jokes. Like, yes. really? <laughs> like when they were like, just, good morning, Shadow Lou. I'm like, wait, did they really just do that? Yeah, just so many. I, I was just astounded. By, by how much screen time they used up with like references again to the characters and like, Oh, oh remember that? Remember that scar the dude had? Like, Oh, remember that, remember right. that shirt that dude had? Oh, oh, remember, the, remember those, those, those hair buns that that woman had? Like they were, it's like they were, it's like they were doing the, they were doing the, uh, the origin story of like every little thing. It was like the young Indiana Jones origin story of like, he got the hat and the scar and the whip, like all at once. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's like, they have to kind of show you, and it's like, I don't need to know all these backstories. It, Dude. And but I, I but yeah, Raul Julia knew that he was in a cartoon movie. He knew that he was doing a movie for kids, and he just owned it, hammed yeah. it up so hard. But it was genius, right? Again, oh, he yeah. knew what he was doing. And on the flip side, Jean Claude Van Damme was so fucking coked out in nuts the whole time <laughs> yep. that every time he's on screen, it's like he's just flexing every single muscle he has at once and and just spitting out these bizarre one-liners that make no sense. But he's so like serious about it that I just couldn't help but <laughs> but loving it, you know. It, his it, his if, drawn if we, on American tattoo. Yes. Oh my god, it's so bad. I would almost say <laughs> it's a so bad it's good kind of a movie if there wasn't so much boring backstory put yes. in like that's just not fun at all but man give me Jean-Claude Van Damme and Raul Julia just you know having like the dumbest fight ever I could watch yep. it for an hour and it would be amazing I also want to know and, and this is something that bugged me when I was 14 and it bugs me now how the fuck was M Bison talking to Guile through the camera like <laughs> there's no. the scene where there there's the TV crew with Chud Lee, E Honda, and Balrog, like recording Guile, and he's like he's like, I'm going to take that son of a bitch Bison down. Like he's doing that whole thing. Yeah. And then Bison like cuts into the camera feed and starts talking directly to him, and they can hear him just fine. I'm like, yeah. how exactly are you doing that? 
But also, like at one at one point, like Chun Li takes off like the earpiece for right. her like microphone audio setup and throws oh it on God. the truck because it's a homing device for some yes. reason. Like, why are yeah. you wearing? A, first of all, no, <laughs> you know, but it's like that's not how microphone headpieces work. But if it, and if you if it was designed to be a homing device, like you just walk around with that on your ear all the time, like just waiting for the opportunity to throw it randomly at a truck. Right. <laughs> it's just so many. But like, I, man, I can't even scratch the surface of oh, no, so many no. dumb things. I, I have to bring up at least, in my opinion, the most useless thing ever conceived by anyone in this movie. Two words. Stealth boat. <laughs> <laughs> because you can see the damn wake. <laughs> like it's, They're looking at the camera. They're like, nothing's there. And there's just this wake, like water flying out of the way. I'm like, it, it's not stealthy. <laughs> I know that that's actually how they saw him. They're like, why is the water moving so weird? Right. Like who thought stealth boat that needs to be in a street fighter movie? Well, I thought the dumbest thing was the, the, the entire character of Blanca made no oh, fucking sense. God. And like, say what you will about. So I never played the original arcade game. So I had no idea that Charlie was apparently a character in the game. I just assumed he was made up for the movie. He wasn't and... in the game until alpha. Okay. I don't care. Like, but like, <laughs> the point is, like, I don't, I don't, even, I don't know who. I just, I just assumed that Charlie was some random character they made up because they were going to transform him into this monster called Blanca, and so, but they spent like half the runtime of the movie with Dalsim and this weird lab, and he's trying to transform this like regular looking dude into this giant like you know beast of a monster like we see in the game and there's all this uh this like computer speak of you know muscle mass increased by 51 percent muscle mass increased by you know whatever and like they get up to like 72 percent and it's like it's it's been an hour like and, and probably <laughs> days in real in, in the time frame of the movie and yet when he comes out of the machine he looks exactly the same except for some weird prosthetic on his forehead you know yeah. and it's like you did this entire origin story just to quote to try to transform this guy from you know one type of character into another and then all they did was paint him green <laughs> and give him an orange wig yes it's like <laughs> and he's supposed to be this big gigantic guy and you've got guys like Andrew Bernarski in the movie like you've got this big strong muscle dude tell Jean-Claude Van Damme was bigger than that you know yep. it's like you couldn't just swap him out for like some big hire some professional wrestler to come in here and just be Blanca like and you you could guess what guys it's a movie you can pretend it's the same person right <laughs> <laughs> I love how they were they were beefing up his muscle mass with like bags of Gatorade. Like it just, oh my God, it was so bad. I know. And then they had Dulcian like fall into that machine and get coated in chemicals. And I'm like, oh, he's going to transform into like the fire breathing stretchy guy. And then he just went bald for some reason. And that was the end of it. You know, like they, they just tried to make him in his costume where he was just wearing like a diaper. I know. It's just so weird. Like, and I know oh. that like, I know that. T Hawk was some like random like character that was like an add on later on, but his whole appearance was he was just some random person in the movie who right. hadn't been named. And then at one point, Jean Claude Van Damme's like, Hey, Hawk, why are you wearing that like Native American headband? And you're like, Oh, wait, that's supposed to be Hawk. Like, you had no idea that's even who it was supposed to be. Right. Because like T Hawk was like, he was like a Zangief style character in the game. He was huge, he was this big muscle bound bruiser. And in the in the movie, he was just like this scrawny dude with a headband. It's like, oh my god! But th there's so many, so many things. Like going back to the Blanca thing for a second, 
honestly, the movie origin is no better than what they originally gave in the in the original Street Fighter. Now, I know. So for listeners, I understand there has been like two decades of lore built on these characters. Like, I understand M. Bison has like a cloning lab when he's died multiple times and his spirit has jumped bodies. I understand that. I understand people have been brought back from the dead. People have been possessed by evil spirits, all that. I get that. I'm talking about the original 1991, you know, Capcom fighting game where mm-hmm. Blanca was, it turns out that he, his real name is like Jimmy or something. And he was lost in an airplane crash. Like, I love how they word this, an airplane crash over Brazil. So I'm like, what did he collide with another airplane? Like what happened? But his mom finds him because she was watching the street fighter tournament and sees this green beast wearing the same anklet she gave to her long lost son. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> that's exactly, oh, man. That's like, that, that's, that happens in the Savage Dragon comic books. Another reference to image comics. There's this whole early storyline in the Savage Dragon where, uh, this, this old lady, Mrs. Rosenblatt, I think her name was like, she sees the, the dragon who is like a green skinned, uh, head finned, like giant monster of a police officer. And she sees him on TV, like beating up some like super crooks. And she's like, oh, you know, that's my Vinny or whatever the character's name was. And she becomes obsessed because she thinks that the dragon is her uh, long lost grandson, who was this dude that had like a a, a green like punk mohawk. And and, <laughs> and like and maybe maybe Eric Larson was trying to throw us a curveball to his origin story. But it was just like the silly little thing, like this cute little old lady who kept showing up at like battle sites like, yoohoo, Vinny. <laughs> Or whatever his name was supposed to be, I forget. But it was just like so oh. silly. You know what that reminds me of is like the Blanca thing. There was a, a, a an in joke <clears throat> in uh, Killer Instinct, which was another fighting game franchise that it was like really hot for a minute and then fell off. Um, I want to say it came back a couple years ago with uh, the Xbox One. I, I I know the 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 new version of Ki. I played that on on my PC and it was fantastic, but. I don't think it had the same staying power as the original did, but uh, there was a secret character. It was the end boss named Idol, and he was a two-headed like monster. And if you unlock him in the arcade game, like there was a secret way to unlock him, and you played through it and you beat the game with him, his ending was this like little old lady comes out. And she's like, Billy, Billy, you're my long lost son. And he's like, no, nah, I don't think so. And he hits her with his club and knocks her into lava. Oh my god. It's like, wait, what? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. So these... Oh, Rodney Schwartzblatt. Sorry, I, I had to look up the character from the Savage Dragon. <laughs> this lady, she's like, that's my Rodney. Anyway. But, yeah, I mean, so say, say what you will about the Mortal Kombat storyline, but I will say, as far as fighting games go, that was the only one that actually had a like real story to it. Like there was a point. <laughs> yeah. Everything else was just like, Hey, these guys look cool. Have them beat each other up. Oh shit. We got to put an ending in. Uh, Ken gets married. Ryu wants to go to the next challenge. Uh, Vega wants to kill all the ugly people. Like seriously, that's Vega's story. He, he wants to kill all the ugly people of the world. Yeah. Cause only, like, only pretty people matter. <laughs> like, like, wait, what? <laughs> Well, okay, so this is a good segue because we've been talking for a while, and it's like, okay, so let's talk about the Street Fighter 2 
game specifically that I think we're going to, you know, play off of. And I'm using, I mentioned Street Fighter 2 because for kids of our age, you know, kids that uh, came of age in the 90s, Street Fighter 2 was the game that everyone, you know, played. That was the one that made the franchise popular because it was in, right. in, available on home console. Like I played it on uh, Super Nintendo and uh, came out, I think, in 1991. And the storyline for that was basically just uh, you know, M. Bison is some kind of like a, a criminal overlord and he sets up this fighting tournament because he wants to find like the best fighters in the world to come like, join him, I guess. Right. Become a part of his organization. Um, or maybe he was trying to like learn their powers. It was one yeah. of those two things. Uh, either way, he basically just sets up this whole competition. And then, of course, if you play the game and you beat the game, then you get to beat M. Bison's ass. <laughs> so it's like, right. He set this competition up and then gets his ass kicked for doing so. Um, but the whole game is just, like I said, it's just a round robin competition of like you pick a character, you beat up every other character, and there's like some kind of boss type characters, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Vega, was it Sagat, Balrog, and Bison, yep. if I remember yeah, them all. And um, yeah, so there wasn't, like, wasn't much of a story. So, so taking that and then transforming it into the live action movie, they turned it into this war film where Bison is a South Asian war Lord who's trying to set up his own independent nation through, you know, uh, terrorism and fear and tyranny. And there's no fighting competition at all, except that Sagat runs some kind of an underground, like street fighting gambling, uh, uh, uh business. And uh, but Street Fighter is really just the, the name of the game tacked on to this weird, you know, war movie. That's it's very much like a G.I. Joe story. It's really what it is. Yeah. It reminds me more of G.I. Joe than anything else. Right. And, and it's and like, which, you know, and Bison is like Cobra Commander. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense, because at the time of the movie, they released G.I. Joe Street Fighter figures. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes sense. G.I. Joe was really popular at the time. Active figures really popular at the time. So, I mean, I guess, you know, to. Hollywood exec who's completely, you know, uh, not unconnected to the youth of the time. Like it would have made sense, you know, just, just, it's basically GI Joe. We'll just make a GI Joe live action movie. Cause if this had been a GI Joe, like cartoon, like, you know, movie length special, like I, it would have been awesome. You know? Oh, absolutely. It would have been great. We would have had, uh, you know, Hawk or somebody in that main role uh, instead of Guile and, and Cobra Commander instead of and Bison. And yeah, you know, you, you would have been like hoping for all of your favorite characters and all the weird little scenes where they get into every single one of the huge cast of characters, like little backstory and little explanation of why they do this or that. Like it would have been awesome because it would have been like, oh, there's my favorite, my favorite character from the toy line, you know? Right. Um, but instead, so you're talking about, Let's let's take this idea of a round robin street fight uh, game, but it's, instead yeah. of adapting it into a live action, basically GI Joe. Instead, what if they had adapted it into something that was a little bit more serious, a little bit stranger, something that maybe would have taken been taken a little bit more uh, seriously by the audience and maybe been better, right? Yeah. Uh, no, are we talking about making this like in the '90s or now, or does the time frame oh. matter? Totally making it in the 90s. So, yes, like, so keep in mind uh, the special effect limitations of the time. Um, Keep in mind, like, the Hollywood mindset, like, how they would have approached this. So, like, I do want to keep those things in mind because I feel like if we make it now, like, you can just CG the crap out of everything. Because there's there's two things that um, all fighting game films have suffered from. Number one, 
overly large cast of characters. They try to get everybody in and it feels like it's it's just too much. Um, it, it, that's, this is one of the things like that uh, Marvel films got right because they were like, instead of doing, you know, like, hey, here's the Avengers. Get to know all these characters. They were like, hey, here's a Captain America movie. Here's an Iron Man movie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, all those characters. Now, here's the team film. So with a lot of these fighting game movies, it's like, here's, you know, 12 to 20 characters. Hope you know them all. Like it just so a huge cast is number one problem. Number two is trying to explain away these insane powers in a realistic setting. And I don't think you have to. But I feel like Street Fighter tried it. Like there was a couple moments where like Ken kind of Hadouken somebody. He, he kind of Hadouken Vega. <laughs> like he just he yeah. kind of double fist hit him and he went flying. And like in the original Mortal Kombat game, there's a scene like that with uh, with Liu Kang and Shang Tsung where Liu Kang like, you know, kind of powers up for a second and then hits Shang Tsung. And there's like this flash of orange light. So it's almost like his fireball move. Um, but like. You know, I don't think you need to explain it. Like, if you set the right tone for the film, they can just have these insane powers, whether it be weaponry or just mystic magic, whatever. And so I think the best way I can describe what I'm what I'm thinking for this type of, uh, of film would be Running Man meets Bloodsport. Okay. So we do a tournament. Uh, we still do the tournament, but it is televised. So it's like it's like the most popular show in the world, let's just say. So very much like Running Man, like where people are taking bets like, you know, I mean, in the Running Man, you had like homeless people taking bets watching this movie like it <laughs> <Old> was <ladies. laughs> right. Everybody watched the Running Man and it was to the death. Now, I know Street Fighter is a little different from Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat's more to the death. But, you know, we, we do talk about like in, in the movie, like, you know, M. Bison was killing people. So F it. Let, he's he's crazy. He's going to kill people. So I say, you know, the the have the Shadowloo organization have have M. Bison be the head of it. Have them, you know, create this tournament and have it be like this weird post-apocalyptic future where this shit's just OK. Like we established the correct universe for this film to take place in. Um, We don't need to worry about the details such as like crazy powers and like why this madman is allowed to throw this tournament and every government is just okay with it, you know, cause realistically in the game, it's like, wait, so why is this, this, the world, it's like the world warrior and everyone's watching it on TV in the game, but it's run by a criminal organization. Like, why is everyone okay with that? So like I said, set it in a post-apocalyptic running man style future <laughs> where this shit is okay. But yeah, have it be to the death. Like, have these these fights either be where the the opponent is killed or they uh you know they accept defeat. Like, let's let's have it be that where like they have to either accept defeat or they die. Um, yeah. And I think the main thing is instead of trying to be like, okay, this guy's good, this guy's bad. You know, let's focus on every character. Instead of doing something like that, we need to focus on a small group of characters and have them be you know, our, our main, our main characters, whether or not they're good or bad is yet to be seen. We'll get there. But what I was thinking is we focus on, cause Ryu is the poster boy. I know it's pronounced Rue, but you know, I, I have a hard time saying this. So I'm going to say Ryu. Um, Ryu is the poster boy. So why don't we say like Ryu, Chun-Li and Guile will be like our three main focuses. That's, that's my, my thought process on it. What, what do you say? 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think those are the three main characters, too, that even in the 90s, uh, the average player would have uh, gravitated toward the most. I mean, maybe Ken could be tacked into that group, but I do like Ryu, uh, Guile, and Chun-Li. I think it's good, like, little Trinity. Guile's yeah. a little bit more of a hot-headed, brash dude. He's a larger guy. His his fighting style is more brutal, right? Ryu's the, mm. the skilled uh adept you know acrobatic uh, martial artist and chun li is as well but you know her style is very different and um her motives are very very different too from ryu's right. at least as the characters are understood you know from the street fighter 2 game um so yeah i i, I agree I, I think we need to need a sort of Let's set, set, let's look at the running man and step back for a second and look at what's our setup here, right? So you mentioned a little bit in the future. I'm thinking maybe not post-apocalyptic, but like like the purge or you know a future where things like Squid Gamer are have become yeah. you know extrapolated to this extreme. So like a little bit into the future. You know, you I, know. I'm sorry. Me, I I kept saying post-apocalyptic. I meant dystopian. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I kept saying the wrong word, so I apologize, listeners. I meant dystopian. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It makes it makes perfect sense. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's one of those like the day after tomorrow kind of futures where it's like sooner than you think, you know, but far enough in the future where you can kind of do what we want. And, uh, you know, and yeah, we can have this, uh, rogue, uh, nation or, or terrorist organization who have taken over a foreign nation, uh, somewhere, and, you know, maybe some small, you know, South Asian island nation or or, or created one, you know, out of uh, out of uh, taking over some, you know, some area of land somewhere. It doesn't matter where. So now you have Shadaloo that because it's a terrorist organization and then it becomes its own like country, its own sovereign uh, you know, country, maybe by force, you know, kind of forcibly accepted to be um, recognized by the United Nations. And of course, the laws are different there. And so they can put on this tournament because, you know murder may be illegal there but in the context of the tournament it's you know no holds barred right totally to the right. death <laughs> no holds barred reminds me of hulk Hogan. um <laughs> if this was shot in the 90s he probably would be in it no. <laughs> yeah exactly right yeah get, they probably would they would have cast him as like uh zangy for something stupid um, right <laughs> Yeah, so I agree. So I think it would be interesting to take the concept of the running man. So, you know, the running man, just, you know, the quick recap there is you have this, uh, you know, the televised uh, game show where you have these characters that are called, what are they called? The Slayers? No, that's not it. They're, um, uh, oh, they're like, like God, there's remember. like Dynamo and, and like Buzzsaw and like Captain Freedom, right? They're, yeah. Uh, now I got, now I got to look it up, but stalkers, right? They're the stalkers. stalkers. That's what it was. And, and so you have these contestants who are supposedly criminals and supposedly what they're doing is they're competing in this game as a means of uh, exchanging a prison sentence or a, a death sentence, exchanging that for freedom if they can beat the game, if they can be dropped into this wasteland of bombed out buildings and you know dangerous uh, neighborhoods and just people trying to kill them. And then on top of just trying to get through, there's like booby traps and you know and and, trap right. do, and, and you know trap doors and expl- explosives hidden in there. But on top of being able to sort of survive the dangers of the wasteland, you actually have these characters, these stalkers who are like comic book supervillains, right? That are coming after them. Uh, Sub Zero is that the guy's name, right? Sub Zero, who's yeah, like Sub-Zero. the. the 
the the hockey uh, themed character with like a razor blade hockey stick, right? You know, uh, an explosive box. Di- <laughs> yeah, explosive fucks. There you go. Right. Dynamo, who has this uh, he's an opera singer who with like electricity powers for some reason. Um, <laughs> and I kind of like that idea. Right. I like the idea that we, if we had characters who were similar to that, like our stalker characters, they would be like the mini bosses. Right. So right. I, I already mentioned you have uh, Vega and Sagat and Balrog. I think the three of them would be really yep. good. Uh, you know, maybe you could throw. Blanca in there or whatever, but I think I just think we, let's just stick with the threes, right? Uh, right? So Balrog, Sagat, and Vega are our stalkers. But instead of being, you know, hunting after our characters, instead what it is is you have people who are competing in the games, and we can talk about in a minute whether that's you know compulsory or voluntary or what. But right. they're competing in the games, they're fighting against each other, and they're all you know the best fighters in the world or whatever. And at a certain point, when you get past these uh, these opening rounds where you're just kind of taking out all the people who are who were never going to make it onto the show, you know, right. um, it's like every reality show, they always bring in like, you know, 20, 30 people on the first uh, episode and then 10 of them are gone before the second episode because you got to kind of cut the the weak ones out right away. Right? right. So that's like our first round. We have these first round of fights. And then at the end of our first round, you end up with, you know, the, our, the characters that we uh, are following, you know, as an audience who are, you know, the characters that we care about, Ryu, Guile, and Chun-Li, they're going to make it to the next round. And because it's a round robin kind of thing, if we, we might need a fourth character that maybe gets killed, like maybe a Ken, right? Um, right. Right, who isn't going to make it, you know? Or maybe yeah. E Honda. E Honda might be a good one too. He, he's he's a different character. Ken and Ray might be too similar, or Ken and Guy might be too similar to each other. Um, yeah. I was always a big fan of E Honda. He isn't necessarily a villain, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we have these four, and the idea is that they're to move up. They have to like now fight like these mini bosses, right? Um. And so that way we can, we can, and again, we, again, we, we might, I, I would have to like draw like a, you know, like a bracket, right? We need to figure out, do we need to have four and then down to two and then down to one? If we right. wanted to do, if we wanted to do the competition that way, uh, you know, we could, you know, again, again, if we needed a fourth, you know, boss, maybe, maybe Zangief would be a good one, you know, to use uh, in addition to Balrog, Vega and Sagat. And, they, and the whole idea is that they're going to we'll move are they going to move up to M. Bison? Do we want to do that? Is the point that M. Bison wants to fight like the greatest fighter in the world? Or is there some other ulterior motive to this like televised game show environment? Um. Okay, here, let, let's let's break this down a little bit further. Here's what I'm thinking is we don't we don't necessarily need to do the the round robin tournament style. Um, if we're going to have it be like this big, like world famous show, kind of like, you know, like the running man. Um, the idea of the stalkers I like. So we have like the champions, like they're they're like the hardcore, you know, they've they've won over and over again. So you would have like, you know, Saget, uh, Vega, Balrog, those guys. And then what if some of the other characters were characters that won other tournaments? So they became like in order to face the stalkers, you have to face me first. Like maybe the the point of the tournament is either stay on and continue to get fame and glory or get your prize and move on type of thing. And, you know, maybe your prize is actually M. Bison kills you. <laughs> and just nobody knows. It's very much like Running Man where, hey, remember whatever their names were off in, in Cancun or wherever they were. Yeah. And they were actually, yeah. like, dead in the game show. Um, so what I was thinking is, like, you have you have different people who, who join the tournament for different reasons. Um, 
you know, now I, I know this is like three way revenge, so it, maybe we don't want to do this. But like Ryu, originally, he was just looking to, to for the next challenge. Like He was looking to prove that he was the best fighter. But then eventually it became like his his uh, sensei. I'm going to oh God, it was a Shang Long, I think was his name. I'm forgetting. But his and Ken's sensei was murdered. Um, so, you know, they were seeking revenge and, you know, there was, there was all this, but like, uh, Guile, you know, he thought M. Bison killed his friend Charlie. So he was seeking revenge mm. and Chun-Li and Bison's corp- organization killed her dad. So according to the game, she was looking for revenge and she just wanted to be a nice, pretty single girl again, which I still find ridiculous. Um, like that yeah. was her ending. She's like, now I can go back to being a pretty single girl. And I'm like, oh my God, Capcom, <laughs> come on. But, um. Yeah, so the three of them, I don't know if we want them to be joining all for revenge, but my thought process is that, you know, yeah, we could throw other characters in hell. Maybe maybe throw some of the other characters like, you know, T-Hawk, Cammy, Phalong, DJ, all them, throw those guys in and have some of them get killed or throw in Ken and have him get killed. But mm-hmm. have your, your you know, M. Bison be obviously the final, have his, his little three chiefs, but then have characters like Zangief, Dalsum, uh, Blanca, you know, some of the weirder powered guys have them be like other characters that they have to fight their way through to get to the final uh, section and ma- and and do like one on one fights like maybe they don't have to face each character. So we'll have like, you know, Chun-Li go up against Dalsam and like she'll beat him or like have, you know, Guile go up against Blanca, uh, you know, Ken go up against or Ryu go up against Ken, maybe, you know, something like that. Have these characters kind of move their way up and eventually either face off against one of the, the end guys or face off against Bison. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm stuck on like, what are the motivations for people in general to play the game and how big is the game? So I kind of like the idea too. Maybe the round Robin isn't the the best uh, bracket structure, but also, in order to be able to introduce more characters without really having to focus on all of them, mm-hmm. what if we had like uh, and and you mentioned champions, and that was the word that kind of lit the light bulb up on my head is what if there are uh, let's call them clans, right? Uh, or or they're almost like these fraternity groups. And okay. let's say there's let's say there's three of them. And the idea is the way the game works is everybody plays the game for money, right? It's like mm-hmm. who who wants to be a millionaire? So every time you go on, you play the first round, you little you win a little bit of money. If you win, you win a little bit of money, and you also win the opportunity to go on to the next round for the next fight to win even more money. And every time okay. you go up, it's like it's like factors of ten. Like you win a hundred bucks, well then now you're going to win you know a thousand bucks, and then ten thousand bucks, and you know what I mean. So it's like it's a gotcha. big jump. So for the risk, right? For the, the literal mortal, the mortal risk. And right. so, but it, but then if you lose, um, which is, is I don't want to just like have to kill everybody because the game wouldn't be able to last if everybody who lost just got killed or kicked off or whatever. So what if the idea is that if you lose, then you have these like clans in the game and they're run each by a former champion. So maybe like, you know, Vega has a clan and Sagat has a clan and Balrog has a clan. And in those clans are other former either champions or people who went really far, right? Guys like Zanky and Dalsim and Blanca. That way we can have them in the game, but they don't necessarily have to be in the forefront. Right. So let's say we have these three clans, you know, the again, Balrog is like the American boxer. 
you know, this is like, you know, the tough guy, alpha male, you know, kind right. of fighters. These are the MMA fighters. Right. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, Sagat, he's a movie Thai fighter. You know, it's more martial arts. You know, it's more Asian style. It's more traditional fighting techniques. And then you have Vega, who's I know in the game he was supposed to be. Oh, I'm so pretty. But he's a matador. Right. And, yeah. and he's from Spain. And so I think the idea here is you you have you have these more, maybe just call them the European you know clan. Right. You're more European fighting styles. Um, so you, you basically have your North Americans, you basically have your Europeans and you basically have your Asians, you know, without really defining the rules too much. Right. And um, so then so when you lose, you basically you go in front of like, you know, the, the, the leaders of the clans and it's like thumbs up or thumbs down. Right. Two thumbs up. You get to stay in the competition and either be invited to join a clan or you just get to go on and like you're still on that first level. You're going to fight the next challenger. Right. Mm-hmm. Or thumbs down you're gone, you know? Uh, okay. Right. Uh, and maybe you're gone just means like you get to leave now, except to leave, you have to make it out of here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. Okay. Right? And like, and, and yeah, maybe it's just like, now you become, now it's like the most dangerous game, right? So if you lose, you have to get out of here, but we have three clans full of the greatest fighters in the world. And if one of them gets you, they get like, you know, bonus dessert or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> They get a bonus, right? So right. The guys, who are, the guys who are in the clans are there because this is their job, right? These are like professional poker players. You have some poker players who go to the big table because they're looking for that one huge, like, you know, payout. They want to win the, the you know, the World Series of Poker. They want to win a million dollars, whatever it is. Like, they're looking for the big payout. You have gamblers who go to Vegas just looking for the big payout. And then you have gamblers who where this is their job you know they're good at it they read people they know everybody they're on the circuit for years and years and years and years you know uh famous guys like you know daniel negranu for example like these guys have been playing for decades it's their job um and that's what these these clan guys are right so ryu guile and chun li all join the games for their own personal reasons of revenge they all want to get back at m bison or the shadow organization as a whole because they feel like you know someone from their family some loved one friend whatever it was uh taken from them because maybe what we find out is that um there are people who volunteer to go and play but then there are people who were just kidnapped and forced to play the game right like oh yeah well that makes sense because it's if it's if it's this big thing that's bringing him money he's gonna want to keep you know keep it on the air so yeah okay yeah, so it. they can't they can't all rely on volunteers, especially since a lot of the volunteers are getting killed trying to escape. Like you can't just rely on people coming there willingly. So yeah, like it's the greatest fighters in the world, the greatest karate masters, the greatest you know kung fu champions, you know whatever it is. Like you know, it, it almost becomes this like uh, there's this atmosphere of fear around the world. Maybe there aren't any other fighting competitions because nobody wants to be the karate champion. You know, nobody wants right. to be like the all valley you know under eighteen <laughs> <laughs> champion because you know no. Daniel LaRusso's. I was going to say, yeah, Cobra Kai don't exist in this world. (laughs) Exactly. But whatever it is, like, nobody wants to be, like, a a martial art champion or an MMA champion anymore because they're going to get plucked out of their beds in the middle of the night one night and wake up, you know, in a steel cage, uh, you know, faced off against some, you know, some nut, you know, like, uh, I didn't, I didn't, was it, uh, I'm going to show my ignorance here because I didn't see the Shang-Chi movie that came out recently, but isn't there some whole thing in there where there's, like, a fighting competition ring, um, but yeah, anyway, it's, there's a little underground uh, fighting ring. It's actually really, really fun. 
because um, yeah. there, there's a few um, uh, Easter eggs. I won't ruin it for you for when you watch it. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's a really cool scene of the movie, and it leads to one of my favorite fights of the movie. Because uh, right after that scene, there's this amazing skyscraper fight that oh my god, it's so it's so good. <laughs> like it's such a good martial arts scene. Yeah, I really want to see it. I, I tend to like get backed up on Marvel movies because I get really burnt out on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'm a big comic fan. Um, but then, well, like like when End Endgame came out, the first one, I I had to go back and watch like five of the previous movies because I had just skipped them. Like I hadn't bothered to watch, uh, you know, Spider Man Homecoming or Black Panther or Ant Man yeah. uh, Two. Like I was like whatever, um, you know, or wh- whichever one was out at the time. So and then I had to do the same thing with the TV shows. I just had to like catch up. So I, I'll do it. I'll eventually get caught up. Even the Netflix shows. Like I, I loved Daredevil and I was watching it, you know, as it was coming out and and uh, Luke uh, Luke Cage. But I didn't like. Jessica Jones as much and Iron Fist as much. So I eventually just played catch up. Um, But anyway, so back to the, back to the, to the set. Hey, I think that there's like an audience and there's a, there's people who would be into this, this type of thing. So anyway, so there's no more champions. Everything, every, everything is about the Shadowloo game. You know, that's, that's part of the reason why it's so popular, not only because it's brutal, you know, the Mortal Kombat style, like to the death, you know, lots of money involved. It's a game show and people love the, love high stakes games, but also like there isn't anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Yeah. So Ryu Guile and Chun-Li all join amongst other people. Like, you know, Ken joins up, Cammy joins up, Fate, whatever. But like, we don't really know who they are. We don't really care. Maybe even some of the characters from the original arcade game, there was just like some random people. Like we could use some of those names, you right. know, uh, that weren't, they weren't necessarily like the, the, the superhero type characters that we know now. Right. And um, yeah, so then, you know, but obviously, right, Guile and Chun-Li are going to they're going to win their initial rounds. They're going to move up. And the idea is that as they continue to fight uh, and move move their way up, everyone they they defeat either joins a clan or has to leave. And and they're going to move up. And, and the idea is that they're going to fight the champions of, of the clans. Right. Right. And I don't know some we have to have some some rule where. I don't know, depending on who goes first based on their, their martial arts style, maybe, you know. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, and actually Chun-Li worked for Interpol, right? So she kind yeah. of would represent, like, the European style. Guile has the American style, right? Has the Asian style. So, you know, it kind of it kind of adds up. It kind of lines up, I should say. Um, but anyway, so as far as the powers let's let's talk about the like the the superpowers that mm. exist we know that some of the characters have the hadouken right guile right. has the i always heard heard him say sonic foom with an f i don't know if it was supposed <laughs> Son- to be boom yeah sonic boom <laughs> <laughs> yeah sonic boom and the flash kick <laughs> right there you go um so what do you think do you think uh do you think that it's something where like they get indoctrinated into the games and they're somehow given powers or is it that in this world you know these powers exist in some way you know maybe they're mystical or maybe like technology has advanced by this point where you know you can you can go and get like a little implant that gives you some kind of like super strength or something i don't know what do you think I, I think I think we go the technology route because again we're 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 bending the rules of reality to be like you know yeah there's this criminal organization that took over a small country and now run the world's most popular game show and everyone's just like we ain't touching it so like 
we're we're at we're already at that point of suspension of disbelief. So I say that we we basically make it out to be in this world there is like weird mystical magic as well as crazy advanced technology. So like some like okay like Guile since he's going to be one of our main characters. I say something as simple like the sonic boom, we just have some kind of like wrist gauntlets that you know he can power up and throw some kind of like, you know, energy. So like okay, kind of sure. like an energy blast. Um you know, Ryu, you know, again, the only thing that's kind of crazy out there for him is the Hadouken, like the hurricane kick and the uh, the dragon punch. They're basically just martial art moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then same thing with Chun-Li, like in the original Street Fighter. And I, I want to say they didn't add this until Turbo. One of them, she has a, a projectile attack. But prior to that, she just has the <laughs> the helicopter kick defies gravity. But, you know, she does the thing where she flips upside down and spins across the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then she has the the lightning kick where she just kicks really friggin' fast. Um, so again, more martial arts stuff. I feel like we can explain away some of the weirder stuff with either like martial arts mysticism or um, you know some technology. Like Blanca, obviously. I mean, yeah, the original movie tried, and we would have to try to do the same. Like, I'm gonna say he's some kind of mutant. You know, whether it be like. The, you know, the Shadaloo organization mutated him or maybe like he's augmented himself multiple times to become a better fighter. Um, something like that. You know, Dalsum, I don't know if we want to do like the the stretchy thing with him or just focus more on his his like breathing fire aspect um, where, you know, maybe have him just do like, you know, the traditional fire breather thing. He takes a swig of something and spits fireballs. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, most of the guys really. In the original game, the only insane powers are the Hadouken, the Sonic Boom, just Blanca being Blanca and being, you know, able to mimic. Mm-hmm. They, they, they they throw this away in the game. They're like, yeah, he can mimic an electric eel. Like, okay, <laughs> how? Sure. Like, that's yeah. how he gets his electric attack. Okay, whatever. Uh, Dalsum being able to stretch his body is a little strange. Um, and then, like, a few of the other guys, like Saget has a, has a projectile attack. And M. Bison has the the Psycho Crusher, where he spins across the screen, and he's got, like, blue energy coming mm-hmm. off of him. And, like, if he hits you, you catch on fire. Um, everybody else has just stuff, like, where they, like, they, they run at you, or they do a weird kick, or an uppercut, or some kind of, like, spin kick. Um, I know, like, Vega does the thing where he, like, rolls along the ground and then stabs with his claws. Like, all of the, all of the moves are kind of martial artsy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So well, what I, if we... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say... <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I thought, I was just, real quick, I was just going to say, like, I feel like we can kind of just, like, you know, uh, fudge the details with that and just be like, look, in this world, this exists. Yeah, I think I think that's, also, that's true, but we could also make it a little bit um, a part of the plot because... The other, th- the other question is, we know that Ryu, Guile, and Chun-Li are in this for some kind of, like, revenge, right, uh, retribution. Why is M. Bison in, in it? Why does M. Bison have this, uh, you know, f- fighting pit, you know, arena set up, you know, and because you got to think he's got his own, like, criminal organization. He's taken over a nation. You know, he's basically ruling as a tyrant. He's been able somehow to hold off any... Uh, political superpowers that might still exist like the USA or Russia or whoever still exists in this world. Somehow he's been able to carve out this niche and it's been successful. 
uh, and maybe how he came to, you know, be the leader of the Shadowloo in the first place and become this person that is so feared is maybe he tapped into this ancient concept of like he found his chi, he found his like inner power, this inner uh, energy that he's able to manipulate in supernatural ways. Like, you know, he literally can charge himself up and his eyes glow and he can like levitate and, you know, punch somebody with like, you know, like with a thousand ton punch or whatever. Uh, And so he just did this through a mastery of the martial arts. Like he's the greatest martial artist in like the history of the world because he found this like oneness. But once he discovered it, it like went to his head, right? He he went power mad with it because now he's like, I'm a god, you know, like right. uh, Ra- Raul Julia says in the movie, like you came here looking for the, a great fighter or whatever, and and you didn't expect to find a god, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so he goes like power crazy on this like and and but maybe you know before he completely loses his mind, you know he's he maybe he has maybe Shadowloo started off as uh like he was teaching people, right? It was his own like little class, and you know for his own selfish needs right we're gonna you know for form our own organization you know thieves and murderers and form a criminal organization and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger so he's teaching this trick to you know the balrog and sagat and and vega whoever right to his his lieutenants and his champions and now they've become superhuman and they're the only ones right so and that's part of how he was able to gain this power and then but maybe there's a he has to have a weakness, right? It has okay. to be some something about this chi where it's not unlimited, right? It's his own personal spiritual energy, whatever the fuck. So but maybe he has to recharge it somehow, or you know, he wants to become more powerful, but he, he needs to add to it somehow, right? So, you know, maybe he maybe by killing somebody you like steal their chi you know or 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 whatever uh i don't know if i'm using the term chi or key in the correct way but you know you steal this uh this power from them and so you know maybe he's just killed so many people that now he's absorbed you know hundreds of these uh of this energy and he's just gone mad with it he's addicted to it uh and so he built he he surrounds himself with these people that he's taught how to do it and at first, maybe it was just like, hey, you fight that guy. I'm bored, you know, fight him to right. death, I mean, you know, and, and then that just sort of grew into this whole thing where now he just enjoys the violence. He enjoys the, you know, the the broken nose and the busted teeth. And he just likes watching it for the, the negative aspects, uh, you know, from a sadistic point of view. But at the same time, he knows that whoever comes to me is going to be like, uh, you know, the choicest, you know, uh, uh, chi or whatever. They're going to they're going to have like, you know, it's the stake of you know, of uh of spiritual power will come to me so i can like you know slay them in battle and steal their power and it, that, it's like this drug that he that he's addicted to okay all right it's okay so yeah if we're if we're gonna play in in the in the world of like the whole uh you know mystic martial arts things i think this works because what if it's it's something along the lines of um you know like he has to uh I'm trying to trying to figure out how to how to say like okay he wants to he wants to absorb their power like it's it's not just add it's not just getting stronger it's absorbing their essence um ah uh, you know what though if we do that that's very much like Shang Tsung that's way too Shang Tsung like it's, it's like that, what, see, I, I yeah was Mortal Kombat thing yeah we're copying Mortal Kombat <laughs> inadvertently <All right. laughs> so. hey man it happens. Yeah. Um, okay. So, because yeah, that's basically Shang Tsung absorbs your your soul and gets stronger. 
Um, so yeah, we can't. We don't want to do that with M. Bison. Um, well, hmm. we might be able, we might be able to at least explain away the powers, right? The superpowers come from this. You know, we sort of unlock this ability to like evolve into you know I don't know a higher being or whatever through you know through a mastery of martial arts or a oneness or whatever it is, right? I'm just, I was, that's kind of where I was going with it was if we can discover some way of like unlocking this like spiritual energy that then is uh, manifested in different people in different ways, right? In, in the exact same way that like the Terrigen mists, you know, for like right. humans, like they all just manifest in different ways. Mutant uh, X-Men, mutant powers manifest in different ways, you know? So somebody like, you know, E Honda who, you know, taps into his, spiritual energy or whatever it is you know i always thought of e honda as uh I, don't, I forget what you call that like super fast like slap that he did but it's like a guy oh, that yeah. a guy that big who can move that fast like that's got to be like superhuman you know right yeah he had the the hundred hand slap yeah there it is, <laughs> there it is. i always think but, it's cool when like really big dudes can move fast yeah yeah what if okay now this is just uh, going in a completely different direction just just for the sake of argument Mm-hmm. What if, like, yeah, we still have that, like, they're all insanely good martial artists, but let, let's play with the technology aspect for a second. So, again, we're living in a, in, a, in a future where, you know, tech is kind of like hand wavy. We can kind of do what we want with it. Um, so what if M. Bison has started to add, you know, technology, like technological advances uh, to his own person? So it's stuff like, you know, he has some kind of like it like like they did this a little bit in the movie where his suit was part of his powers. So it's like, what if his uh, his suit was like, okay he can charge up like some kind of electromagnetic field around him. And that's that's the weird energy that we see in the game, Um, you know, but he's also a really good martial artist. So like he's using his power, but he also has this weird energy coming off of him. So it's like a, a like a double fuck you, you know, when he's when he's fighting. Um, like I said, with Guile, he can have like the wrist gauntlets that help him shoot like the the sonic boom. Um, I don't know if we want to do that with Ryu or just have him, you know, do the mystical thing. I'm having a real hard time with the mystic powers. Now I see why movies uh, that do fighting games mm-hmm. like I see why they have such a hard time creating the powers because yeah, it's right. really hard to to figure out a way to make them make sense. Mm-hmm. and not seem a little cheesy or not copy another thing. Cause, cause like I liked where you were going with it, but then immediately I was like, fuck, we're going down the road of mortal Kombat. Sure. You know? Okay. Well, let's focus on the, on the technology aspect of it then. And honestly, we just, we just did this whole like spiritual metaphysical heaven and hell thing in the last episode. So yeah, let's go a different direction. Right. So, so yeah, let's focus on the technology and, okay. uh, and and because we're still thinking, uh, I still have on my brain, you know, Wildcats, Wildstorm comics from the 90s. And in those comics, there was this really interesting uh, concept that there was this island nation called Gamora ruled by a criminal organization. And the head of that organization was basically a mob boss who was also sort of a king. And he was called, you know, called Kaizen Gamora. And he gained his wealth and power through uh, technology. Specifically, he was like smuggling technology. And once he had all of this like wealth to do damn near anything, you know, well, he, he, he was sadistic and he got, he got into playing with, um, with like uh, screwing with, with people in, in, a, in a similar way to what uh, uh, 
M. Bison did in the movie by turning Charlie into Blanca, he would like take people and transform them into these like monsters, you know, and he, okay. he, he called them his like hunter killers or something along those lines. And they were basically like zombies and he would like patch on like cybernetic parts. And sometimes they would have like multiple limbs or like animal parts. And it was like he and his, um, I, I want to say they were called the gene engineers, or maybe I'm stealing that from, uh, from uh, the X-Men with, uh, with Genosha. But, you know, the idea is that he had these like scientists who basically they had this like body shop and they would just play with with people and uh the character the cybernary was a a, a product of that you know where oh, she was yeah. basically a combination of like three different people like literally like stitched together into this like uh you know super powered soldier um so i don't want to steal that idea either but i kind of like the idea of like what if m bison discovered some way to like alter a person's dna on the spot or on the fly in a custom way. Like he can custom rewrite DNA um, and, you know, on the fly with living people. And maybe he was a genius. Maybe that's why, how he became so powerful in the first place is that, you know, he invented this technology where he can, you know, put somebody in like a chamber like Blanca in the terrible movie and right. just literally, literally like rewrite their genetic code, tear their body apart at like the molecular level, put it back together um, you know, like the Terminator, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, just uh, appearing in like a ball of light. And right. then the person would come out of it, you know, totally, you know, totally transformed. And of course, I'm now realizing that they did something similar in the Doom Patrol show, but uh, you know, it's hard to be 100%, you know, uh, original here. But yeah, this is idea. So yeah, this is what he did is he built this machine. And, I, uh, and I'm going to steal this from a story that I wrote when I was like 12 <laughs> uh, for a comic book that, you know, never went anywhere because I was 12 is so he built this machine called the Grail. And that's what it is, is, that, is you can go in there and you have to put like additional like organic material in there with you, like, you know, human flesh or body or, or human or animal parts or whatever, because you need like this, you need genetic material or organic material. And, you know, you rewrite a code that with like this is what your DNA will look like when you're finished. It literally just like vaporizes you, puts you back together at a molecular level and you come out and you're this entirely like different thing, you know. So maybe that's the technology that he invented or something similar to it where he's literally able to like turn himself into a superhuman by writing a computer code, you know, and designing himself like okay. a, like a, like, like a CGI model in real life, you know? Um, and then because he invented it now he's selling it. And this is where he gets his, his fortune from, you know, he wants, he, he wants, to, there are governments who try to steal it from him and he has to form this like, organization of like bodyguards to protect himself and protect his secrets and you know eventually like it all goes to his head and this uh, little paramilitary organization that he that he creates basically you know, as his own like personal bodyguard to protect him and his secrets grows into this huge organization and he the, and he just goes mad with the power of being able to do whatever he wants because he's transformed himself into like a godlike human and he can sell it to other people um, and so these champions that he's working with all have these powers because they bought it from him. You know, they literally like, you know, they went into his like body shop or whatever. And they're like, I want to be super fast. I'm going to be stretchy. I want, you know, <laughs> I want to be super strong. And, and I want to be stretchy. 
Archie. I love it. <laughs> but it costs like billions. So he's like, cool, you got to earn the money somehow, you know, into right. the pits with you, you know. And so guys like, you know, Balrog and, and Vega and, and Sagat, they're not like super crazy looking superhuman, um, but they've sort of like become the the chieftains of these little clans of like weird mutants and, and freaks, you know, who right. are who are hooked on this like, you know, super villain program, but it costs a hell of a lot of money. So they got to they got to kidnap some dudes and have some fights and get the whole world watching and betting and placing wagers and, you know, just bringing in money. And it becomes their job because, you know, some of them do it for the money. Some of them do it because it's fun. Some of them do it because they're like addicted to like basically like souped up plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. Anyway. See, now, I, I feel like this would all be like opening credit text crawl type of like information that yeah. we would get like kind of the the quick backstory of like setting the stage for the world we live in. Cause, cause look at it this way with like the running man. Now we didn't question like how sub zero had like exploding pucks and like how dynamo could shoot electricity. We were just like, yeah, fuck that. Of course they can. You know, like it was just like, it was just the tech that they had. Mm-hmm. So I think if we set the stage by, by kind of back giving that backstory in like the opening 10 minutes of like, you know, basically who M Bison is like, yeah. he, you know, took over this, basically created this technology that allowed him to alter his DNA and become essentially an elevated human. Like maybe not quite superhuman, but much more than human. Um, and he was able to use that to create a small band of like, you know, guerrilla fighters and start taking stuff over. And then the more he took over, the more wealthy he got, you know, the more followers he amassed and the better his tech got, you know, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward 20 years and we have the Shadowloo organization and the whole world is watching the Street Fighter World Warrior Tournament. And it's all based on, you know, getting like maybe maybe the, the grand prize is changing your DNA is is becoming more powerful. Um, you know, maybe that's what they're after. But everybody entering the tournament that we're watching uh, for the movie has their own agenda. Like we said, like, you know, maybe, maybe that's what Ryu's agenda is. is Cause he was talking about like in the original game, he just wanted the next challenge. Like mm-hmm. he, maybe he wanted to be like, can I do it without altering my DNA? There you, go. you know, can, can I be the world's greatest fighter that's still human, you know? And then Guile is like, you know, what happened to my friend Charlie that I'm, you know, maybe, maybe it was, uh, you know, maybe okay, yeah. Oh, I know we're changing the game story right off the bat, so let's let's keep going with this. So, what if Guile had like a dishonorable discharge because like he disobeyed, you know, like uh, you know, a direct order, um, you know, leaving very much like you know, Running Man, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. you know, Charlie got left behind, and you know, and like a raid on a Shadowloo organization, and like um, you know, he's he wanted to try to save his friend, but they had to pull out. He disobeyed a direct order, gets a dishonorable discharge, basically is like, you know, struggling with the fact that is his friend alive or dead? You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like the the honor among soldiers, honor among brothers type of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And so he enters the tournament to basically find out what happened to Charlie and if he's dead to, to fuck up M. Bison for doing that. And then Chun-Li, you know, there's the whole thing of, like, her father. Maybe her father lived in the original – she and her father from whatever uh, original uh, country that he took over okay. and, like, slaughtered the peoples of and, like, forced the the other people into this, like, 
slave tournament of fighters mm-hmm. for, for his own fucking entertainment and for money. Um, so she's after revenge as well, but maybe she's also trying to take the organization down. So it's like you have yeah. those three have their agenda, but then you have characters like Ken who's like, I'm going to be the greatest fighter in the world. Alter my DNA, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah. So, and I, I can see Ken just wanting some money for sure. Right. You know? So you have and, like him and maybe Fei Long and T-Hawk and stuff like that. Just be characters who are entering to try to win the tournament. Like they don't have a, a more of a hidden agenda. It's just like, fuck it. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to win. And you know, those can be some of our characters that lose. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And we have to have at least, you know, some of these characters who are like, you know, forcibly, you know, put into this, you know, like maybe, you know, uh, I don't know, Cammy, for example, would be a good example of like somebody who was just, you know, kidnapped one night and, and dropped in here because, you know, she had, uh, you know, she was a champion somewhere else or you know, yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, maybe she um, or, or maybe, you know, maybe she was some kind of like a, a vigilante somewhere, you know, like, a you know, like a Batman right. style vigilante somewhere. And, you know, she got captured. They brought her here. They were like, you know, that would be a fun challenge. But whatever. One of the characters, we can explain all of this away in like in dialogue and backstory and, and yeah. you know, scrolls on the screen, whatever. And again, in the first 10 minutes, cause that's not really what it's about. It's just, I think, I think it's a pretty cool setup though. Right. Yeah. So you got your, your six, seven, eight characters who are joining the, uh, the level one of the tournament. Some of them are there uh, against their will. Some of them are there for the money. Some of them are there for the power. Some of them are there for, you know, the fame or revenge. You know, so that's interesting. We all have like a different uh, motivation, you know, they're going to go in there. They're going to fight some random dudes, you know, and we'll get that montage scene, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> with that Karate Kid music or that Rocky music. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then, you know, they'll kind of move up and, and we'll get to meet and, and we'll and we'll see some of the uh, not the chief necessarily, but the higher ranked fighters come in. Like we'll see Zangief, we'll see Dalsim and Blanca and DJ and Honda, whoever. And we'll see some of our, you know, and they'll all get taken down like one by one by one. And, you right. know, and. And Bison, of course, is paying more closer and closer attention because maybe he knows who Chun-Li is or maybe he knows who Guile is. And, you know, and and uh, eventually we're going to get to a point where now we have our, our three champions and um, maybe two of them end up having to go against each other. Right. That's where where our bracket yeah. has brought us to. So now suddenly. But at this point, I think that maybe they've all talked in the locker room or whatever. They sort of become they kind of know what's going on. I think they all have like a respect for each other. And now it's been, you know, four or five rounds. And yep. now, you know, now, again, again, two of them, have, two of them are going to have to fight each other. And this is where things go wrong, because they know that the next round we're going to have to fight, you know, one of the champions. Um, so. I think we can go one of two ways here. Either one, we have – I'm just going to pick two two of the random characters. I'll just pick the guys, right, Ryu and Guile. So we'll have mm-hmm. – maybe one of them decides, hey, like you take the fall, like Guile. Guile, you're not here for honor, so you take the fall, like make it look good. Go, right. but you're but you're gonna get the vote to like go join one of like the clans. Go join the clan, and then like you gotta go get in with them. Like even if it's just yeah. a matter of like getting into like the fortress or wherever where their base where M Bison is. Like just get in there, and then you can be our eyes inside. You know. Yeah, um, I, think, so, I think we should go Chun Li because her whole espionage thing. Okay, there you go. So like yeah, yeah like have her have her sneak in. And here's oh ooh, interesting idea. Okay, you had mentioned like guys being like thrown in. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just had go. an interesting idea pop up. You're, ta- you're talking about like guys being forced into into the the battle. What if one of the I I, I what if uh, Zangief, right, was like this big strong freaking bruiser, but his his whole thing is like he has all those scars all over his body because he was like fighting bears in Russia. 
like what if that's the thing like his what if like his uh his his town or his his village was raided by the Shadowloo, you know, and he was taken hostage and forced to fight for their entertainment. And like, in order to survive, he's joined this clan. Sure. And like, yeah. he doesn't want to be there. So like, maybe we're going to have a fight with like, you know, the huge Zangief versus the tiny little Chun-Li. And we're going to find out he's there against his will and he wants to help her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, you know, uh, maybe he's, I'll say traditional, um, you know, maybe he's like, you know, I don't want to fight girls, right? Which sounds very right. misogynistic for him. It's more like you know, he, he's a traditional guy he, because we find out he's really a gentleman. He's a nice guy, maybe a little dimwitted, you know. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's you know, been he's, wrestling bears since he was a child, so you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's a he's a big teddy bear of a guy, but you know, he's had to do what he's had to do to survive, and you know, maybe keep his family alive. Yeah. So maybe he's like, you know, I don't want to fight you, blah blah blah, right? And so maybe you know, Chun Li's whispering to him, you know, like you know, just. I don't care. Just hit me. You know, like maybe about maybe Zangief doesn't even know why, but she's just going to, she's going to throw the fight, but she needs to make it look good. So she's like baiting him. And you know, maybe she just gets frustrated after a while and just hauls off and just kicks him in the nuts. <laughs> and, we, and we can get this really comical, you know, like scene of him just, Ooh, you know, and, and then she just do the lightning him. kick to the nuts. So like, multiple yeah, exactly. and then he just loses it and just lashes out at her. And that's all she needed was like one good, believable hit. And then boom, she's just out, you know, of course, you know, she's faking it. Right. But she's just right. out for the count. But at this point she's become so well-respected because she's won three, four rounds, whatever. So of course, you know, she goes up for a vote to get the thumbs up or thumbs down. She gets the thumbs up and then, you know, she gets to pick uh, a clan and so she goes with whatever clan Zangief is in so she can go and explain to him what's going on, you know, because now she realizes, hey, this guy's a good guy. Like, he didn't want to hurt me. You know, he's not this sadistic, you know, uh, screwball out here just trying to kill everybody. So she's like, I might have an ally right there. Uh, oh, that's good. That's good. Um, and then maybe maybe Ryu and Gao or at least one of them, they get to actually go up against a champion because I would I would really, really love to see somebody like Guile, who is this very sort of brutal uh, strength fighter, go up against someone like Vega, you know, who has this, you know, lithe dancing sort of, you know, uh, right. you know, the best defense is no be there, you know, kind of fighter, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you get Ryu and Sagat kind of the opposite, right? Sagat's all, you know, power, uh, Muay Thai kickboxing power, and Ryu is, you know, uh, more, you know, deft in skill. So it'd be kind of cool to just see those fights, you know, because that's, that's yeah. one thing that we didn't get in the 1994 movies. There's hardly any actual fights in the There's, fucking movie. They cut away every time. Yeah, because, like, if you look at the Mortal Kombat movie by, by comparison, like, there are several fights, like, actual tournament-style fights throughout the film. Like, yeah, some of them are with no-name characters because they needed characters to kill. Um, but there are at least fights, you know, where in Street Fighter, it's like, hey, we're going to fight, and we cut away. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to fight, and we got interrupted. You know, and it's exactly like, right. oh, it drove me nuts. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to kind of fast forward the movie a little bit here because a lot of this is just going to be like a showcase for let's have some cool fighting. Right. Yeah. And so we have our three characters and we've mentioned so far that there are three like fates that they're going to take. There's Ryu who's just going to win. And I I think he really should. He just become the champion in the long run. Right. And then, uh, you know, to fight M. Bison. And then you get Chun-Li who loses a fight but gets the thumbs up to join the clan and now she's inside this like fortress so she has a way inside a way in right right and then you're gonna have guile he's gonna lose a fight have him lose against vega and then he gets the thumbs down 
and now he has to escape somehow. And the reason I want to do this oh, okay. is, I, is I would love to throw Guile, like, he, you know, throw him into the city, and now suddenly the clans are all after him, right, all at once. What yeah. this does is that now it's like you're, you're making the clans, you're making your powerful fighters leave the fortress. So now you have less people there, but you've got Chun-Li inside, Ryu, who's about to face M. Bison. And so where I want to get with this is eventually we're going to have all of the – the kidnapped, enslaved, compulsory, or just pissed off fighters who, you know, are like they're in like, you know, uh, you know, Coliseum style cages somewhere, you know, maybe Chun-Li lets them out. And now mm-hmm. there's going to be like, they're going to storm the castle, right? Yes. They're going to go, they're, they're going to try to get in. And Ryu is distracting M. Bison with his fight. And he's legitimately like, I'm going to kick your ass because I'm the greatest in the world. Because, you know, he has that ego. Mm-hmm. Guile is distracting everybody, and you know, and he's going to be fine because he's a badass. And mm-hmm. so now, now Chun Li is leading like a coup from inside, and she's letting Ryu take care of M. Bison because she, what she's looking for is find the technology, find whatever whatever it is. Like his code lives somewhere, his machine, whatever it is. She's that's what she wants because once you take that away from him, then he loses all the the power because he's. All of his uh, power and wealth is built on, the, on this secret that only he knows. So right. she's going to get that and try to get out with it. And she's smart enough to realize that while she wants revenge, she doesn't need to take revenge by kicking him into teeth. She can take revenge by, you know, cutting his legs out from underneath him. Right. No, I dig it. I, I dig that a lot. Um, and as far as like the, the whole uh, guile thing, like I feel like. We're gonna get a lot of actual street fighting here. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. That's um, cool. I was yeah, I wasn't planning on that, but that's that's like the uh, Jason wrapping a dude up like a joint where it's like that's just a a nice <laughs> uh, you know nice confluence of uh, of, of coincidences ideas. that work out really well. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll have Guile do actual street fighting. We'll have Ryu get to fight up against M Bison, and we'll get our big like final boss fight. You know, right? <laughs> uh, all the while we have. Very much like in the 1994 movie when they lead, like, lead a coup, right? That's what Chun-Li's going to do. So we kind of right. get a little bit of all of it, and I think it'd be really cool. Uh, I have no idea where it goes from there. Like, does Ryu win? Does M. Bison win? I mean... Yeah, I think I think Ryu would win. Um, you know, and, and I think, like, for... And again, try this, this is really hard because I really want to throw, like, a stinger in, but I'm trying to keep in, in mind the mythology of the time frame that we knew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I, I keep wanting to be like, Oh, maybe like this character comes and I'm like, no, no, that, that wasn't, that didn't exist yet. So like, <laughs> yeah, we have to have to keep in mind of like when this is taking place. But yeah, I think uh, Ryu would win. He would defeat M Bison. Maybe M Bison would get away, you know, like scurry off into the night, you know, to fight another day type of thing. Um, you know, Chun-Li would, would successfully take down the Shadowloo organization by revealing his big secret. Um, and maybe Guile, you know, at, at the end of it all, maybe he gets closure. Maybe he finds out that Charlie was killed trying to take down M. Bison's organization. Like maybe mm-hmm. he did try to get in as, you know, as, as one of the, the clan members there and, uh, you know, didn't make it. You know, maybe he got the thumbs down and he got killed. That type of thing. Um, yeah, but, you know, he got but, left behind. Maybe he was a good fighter and M. Bison was like, yeah, you know, get in the tournament or maybe the tryouts for the tournament type of thing. You know, yeah. but he didn't make it very far. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but God at least can get that closure to know what happened and right. know that Charlie at least went down with a fighting chance. 
Right. Right. We're um, not going to turn him into Blanca. Fuck that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think honestly, I think this is really it. I think, you know, the ending kind of says uh, speaks for itself here. I think the only kind of like little stinger or maybe a little bit of a slight twist we can do at the end is um, let's have. Now, we've already established that Ryu is in this for like the the glory of I am the greatest fighter in the world. I'm going to prove it to everybody. I don't need to be a superhero or whatever. I'm just going to fight everybody. So he defeats M. Bison, who is like a superhuman and the leader of this, you know, uh, organization that has held the world in terror for a long time. And, you know, and while he seemed like a like a pretty like legit dude helping out Guile and Chun-Li, you know, I, I don't want to want to portray him as overly like friendly or positive you know he's kind of like the guy who's yeah i'll go along with this you know i got my own i'm here for my own reasons you know and uh he's the brooding hero (laughs) yeah and i think it'd be interesting if we see him like he defeats him bison chun li takes down the shadow organization right you know the the whole city's in chaos guile's leading all the champions all over the place on like a wild on a wild chase on a merry Mm -hmm. chase and you know what if what what if we, we just see ryu kind of quietly kind of walk into the throne room or the office or wherever it was that M. Bison, you know, kind of like was in, you know, was watching the fight, you know, on his, or maybe on his balcony, his like Pope's balcony. And we just see Ryu just sit down on like the throne. Like he's going to take the place of M. Bison and okay. you know, cut to black. And like, we don't know how, we don't know how that's going to happen. You know, right. he obviously doesn't have the shadow anymore, but I just think it'd be really cool to see if, Oh, you know what? Ryu was in this for glory, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, um, coming from a good place necessarily it wasn't really heroic it was no now he's like now i'm the best in the world and i'm gonna right. take my place and i'm gonna replace uh m bison you know and then we potentially have like a sequel you know we always kind of gotta leave that that open well and see and here's the funny thing is like i i, I don't know if you did this intentionally or, or unintentionally and it's just again serendipitous here but if we were to get a sequel, which would happen a few years down the road, obviously, from when this came out, so it'd be a little later in the 90s, we would have found out that in the game lore, uh, M. Bison transferred his powers to, to Ryu, like his, his basically his spirit to Ryu, creating Dark Ryu, like the evil, sinister Ryu, oh. um, that eventually, you know, the, the soul is like sucked out of and put into a clone of M. Bison again and all that. And Ryu has to like fight against his evil side. Um, and then you have Akuma who went after, I think it was Shang Long, uh, Ryu and Ken's, um, you know, uh, master and Akuma like embraced the dark power and he was trying to like force Ryu to do the same. Like it's very convoluted and depending on whether you're looking at the comics, the anime or the video games, it kind of <laughs> goes in different directions. But the point is, like, I think that's kind of funny that, like, you know, he beat he beat M. Bison and then kind of almost takes his place. And if we were to get a sequel after those games came out, they could come back and either do one of two things. They could be like, yeah, Ryu's just evil Ryu and has taken over. Or it's like Ryu wasn't evil when he thought he defeated M. Bison. M. Bison actually transferred his power into him and kind of was puppeteering him until he could create a clone body. <laughs> like we could actually put that in the movie in the sequel if we wanted to. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I honestly had no idea. Like I said, I, I, I saw the 1994 movie and then never played a Street Fighter game ever again <laughs> after that. So, yeah, I just thought right. I just thought the Ryu was he was the more uh, stoic and serious of the duo of him and Ken. You know, Ken's yeah. the, the happy go lucky, brash, pretty boy of mm-hmm. that of that group. And they def- they definitely do that in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, but yeah, I, I, just, I think it's cool. 
All right, yeah, this is cool. I mean, I, I, I think that's awesome. I mean, we kind of set set something up for a sequel, and right. yet we still, you know, each of our three characters gets their their retribution. Yeah, and I mean, and I know we haven't we didn't touch on a lot of the characters, but you know, characters like E Honda, Dalsim, uh, Blanca, like they would just be fights. So we would have like uh, you know. Uh, a Guile versus, you know, Dalsam or, you know, Blanca versus Chun-Li and Ryu mm-hmm. versus e Honda. Like we would we would have those fights throughout the film, um, because, again, that's going to be the main focus of like the bulk of the runtime is going to be these cool martial arts fights, very much like a kickboxer type thing um, yeah. where we're going to have like, you know, the audience cheering. We're going to see it on the screens. We're going to see people watching like. You know, maybe when Ryu's going up against a character, we're going to see, like, Ken and, and Chun-Li, like, in the locker room, like, watching it on the monitor, like, you know, go get him, you know, that type of thing. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to have a lot of those fights. And I think the main thing is that we need to have at least the original 12, uh, you know, fight at some point. So we're obviously yeah. going to have, like, you know, the, the Ryu versus Bison, you know, uh, Guile versus, like, Vega, like you said, um, we're going to have Zangief versus Chun-Li. So we will have all those fights. I know we didn't touch on it in the show, but just keep that in mind, listeners, that that is, that was all implied. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, and we said that earlier that we would just try to focus on a couple of characters because the mm-hmm. cast is way too big. Not everyone can have a backstory. Right. And that whole backstory, you know, we, we, we told a backstory and then had to back it up and do a different backstory about how, you know, the characters <laughs> get like superpowers, but we don't we're not going to explain each of those ones individually. The whole idea is just to establish the fact that, oh, Bison found a way to, you know, mutate humans uh, on purpose to give them beneficial superhuman abilities. And and we're going to see some of those, but we're not going to stop and, you know, explain who Dalsam is. Like, you know, we'll probably have no idea that he's from India other than, you know, maybe you could tell that from, you know, his, his, uh, his facial features or something, but that's about it. Like that's all that I agree. I think their cameos really is all they really are. Right. Uh, just, you know, something for our main characters to fight and the fans will know who they are and appreciate seeing them. And honestly, I would have preferred that in the original movie, instead of trying Same. to give every single character a story arc, just let them be in the movie so I can be like, hey, cool. That's that guy and right that's I all you need you know i would have much rather just saw like you know ryu fight vega and like you know Z- zangi fight dj or something and like not have like all these like weird buddy cop things going on yeah yeah and and i think you mentioned marvel i think marvel does that pretty well and i can't think of an example now off the top of my head but you know there's a lot of examples where it's like you they just mentioned the name of a character or like like when Stephen strange was first mentioned you know in, right. in i think it was the second captain america it's like they just had to throw these things in there and maybe it's a seed for the future maybe mm-hmm. it's just an easter egg for the fans but whatever like it's they just throw these things in there for funsies you know yeah. and the people you know like myself it's like you know throwing dane throwing dane whitman into the eternal is like haha i know who that is you know right. and it's like <laughs> You know, it's fun. Well, yeah, I mean, they even uh, without ruining because I don't think you, you haven't seen the newest Spider-Man yet, right? No, no, not yet. I, okay, uh, it's I, I, I won't ruin it. Uh, but but there is there is another uh, character cameo that's just it's just brief. It's there for a reason for the story, like not actually like, haha, we're introducing this character, but more or less like this character is there for story purposes. And again. Those that know are like, hey, that's cool, you know, and yeah, they, they do that really good. Um, but one one upping it here a little bit, it wouldn't just be the the cameo per se. It would be like a, a, a like a 
three or four minute fight scene. Um, but we would be like, hey, look, it's Blanca, you know, it would, and it would be like we'd get to see him fighting against one of our three main characters, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah and exactly. I, th- I, th- I think if this type of film had to come out at the time, like, yeah, as a kid, I would have been like, well, that's not what the game is about. But I would have liked it. I think I would much like the Super Mario Brothers movie, because like I saw that and I was like, this ain't what the game is about, but it's cool. <laughs> like. So I yeah. feel like I would have dug it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I don't want to get into you know to any kind of like a fan cast, but no. man, I will say Fight Club wouldn't have been out at this point, but man, Brad Pitt as Guile, I think would have been fun in the nineties. Yeah. Um, you know, cause he, he was in, he was in a couple of movies like Legends of the Fall, I think was probably out at that point. Definitely Thelma and Louise, but he yeah. hadn't done his like, you know, his fight club and his seven and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I could see, a, I could see like a young, you know, a younger, obviously Brad Pitt, you know, or maybe somebody bigger and beefier. I don't know. I don't want to get into the fan casting with this particular one that there's another show, another episode that we're kind of thinking of in the future where I want to do a fan cast, uh, you know, for, for a particular period of time, but uh, we'll get back to that one. I, I, de- I definitely agree. And, and that that's one of the things that even, even as a kid, it, it bugged me. Where I'm like, why did they cast Van Damme as the American? Like, you know, not that I disliked Van Damme. I liked Van Damme movies. But he had that just thick, thick Belgian accent. And this was like, you know, he's like, oh, it it never sat right with me that he was Guile. Like, (laughs) he he should have been in the movie. But, you know, like, oh, just Van Damme. I got I got to complain about one one thing. There is a line he delivers that it's it's painful where he tells Cammy, he, he says to get the hostages out, but he goes, get the hostages out. Like, he's like, he chokes on the word out. <laughs> and it's, oh, and he says it twice. And I'm like, dude, stop. Yeah. <laughs> he's choking on all the coke stuck in his sinuses. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Oh, man. So, all right. I think I think this is good. I think we're gonna wrap it up right here. I mean, we we've gone into a lot more detail, honestly, than I even expected we would, being as unfamiliar with the property as I was going into it. But this is good, you know. Um, When you mentioned Running Man earlier, I literally was like, okay, good. Thank God you mentioned a movie that I I do know about, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. Let's just do the Running Man, but we'll put our characters in. That's why I was talking about the Stalkers and Dynamo and all those, because I was like, we could just do the Running Man and we'll just, you know, lay the Street Fighter characters on top of it and just and just do that. Because I wasn't sure where else to go, but I'm glad. I, I like the way this went. I mean, it's not the most original thing, but I think had again had there been a street fighter movie in 1994 that wasn't a complete piece of shit. And they had done something like this. It would have been awesome. It would have really fit in with the action movie sensibilities of the time. And action yes. movies were still really, really big, you know, on top of the box office at that time. And I think that they could have put some really, really cool, you know, actors in this movie, get Schwarzenegger to play Zangi for some shit, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, and it would have been, it definitely would have been a good time. So yeah, I'm, I'm, Ooh, you know, <laughs> wipe the sweat yeah. off the brow. That we, we did it. <laughs> we made it. Well, and, and like I said, like, I, I know uh, people listening to this might be like, especially people who are more familiar with Street Fighter might be sitting there going like, well, that doesn't sound like Street Fighter at all. But re- remember, the challenge at the top of the show was that we were going to work within the mindset of Hollywood at the time. And the mindset of Hollywood at the time was forget the storyline of the video game. Let's make up our own thing. And it was always some kind of crazy action packed sci fi 
you know, craziness. Like, I mean, in the Double Dragon movie, if I'm remembering correctly, because I did only see it once when I was a kid, um, the Abobo character was like, it was like some kind of drug that they injected into him and made him like all beefy and big, like freaking Bane from Batman. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it was this crazy thing. Like, and they, they had like weird laser weapons and shit and that. And then Double Dragon was like a street fight. Like the video game was just like dudes fighting gangs like the Warriors, you know, and and the the film was like this crazy evil organization with like drug runners and sci-fi weaponry. So Hollywood was notorious for that at the time. And that's what we wanted to do going into this is make our own thing out of it in the way they used to do that. And to be fair, at the time that this would have come out, there wasn't much Street Fighter story. <laughs> like there really wasn't. Yeah. And and our story was just all we knew about the Street Fighter lore was what the characters said back and forth to each other and what their endings were. And none of their endings were canon because it was like it depended on who you beat it with. And then going forward, it was like half of those endings weren't canon at all. So it's yeah. like it, 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 we had nothing to work with back then. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I, but yeah, I think I think even with the challenge of doing something kind of wild, I don't think we really went that far off because we still ended up with a storyline that surrounds, uh, you know, a one on one fighting system of some kind, you know, more pit right. fighter than street fighter. But, you know, right. hey, pretty close. <laughs> and we had that whole concept of like the technological superpowers. But I mean, that's just explaining shit that already existed. I mean, Blanca and Dalsim are in the game. I mean, they right. come from somewhere, right? I know that they, they tried to play it off like, you know, like you said, Blanca can emulate an electric eel, but how? I mean, right. and all, all I was trying to do was come up with some kind of a how, even if we just throw it off in the first couple of minutes. Yeah. Because, again, and again, I was trying to tie it into well, how, how is M. Bison so powerful? Yeah. No, nothing ever explains that, even, you know, the movie, the game that I'm aware of. So how, like, where does it, we don't necessarily need to tell his entire backstory and, like, rise to, you know, power within a criminal underworld. But it would be nice if we had at least a one note answer of, Oh, you know, he was a, you know, super technological genius who came up with, you know, this thing that he could sell and it like went to his head. Go like, Absolutely. that's all I was looking for. Yeah. And I agree. I, that that's why I, I like that we were able to do that because again, there was no story. So we had to give a story to something that had no story. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I think we're good I, there. I, I like it. Oh. No, yeah. yeah I, just, I, I like what we did. Yeah, I do. I do. I think uh, challenge accepted and uh, I think uh, fulfilled. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> uh, so this is good. Yeah, I definitely feel a lot better about this episode than I did when we started recording it. Um, this was fun. No, but this and this is also something that I would like to do more going forward. I love getting together and just talking about old movies and shows and games that, you know, we love. But, you know, you and I recently had a conversation offline where we were like, let's just think of like some crazy stuff. Like, what if we did this show or this game? Just things yeah. that have like no story or stories that we're totally unfamiliar with. And we just had this little exercise where it was like, give me the quick elevator pitch of like, if I say, you know, X game, you know, what, what would you do with that? And we came up with so many ideas in like less than an hour that I was like, that's what I want to do with the show. I don't want to just get on here and gush about, Oh my God, I love Friday the 13th so much. And you know, like (laughs) I really want to be able to get on here and challenge our, us to make stories. And sometimes it'll be successful and sometimes it'll just be so, so, and eventually we're going to have an episode where we just crash and burn because we, we cannot pull the nose up, you know, (laughs) and, uh, 
and that's okay you know and um i do know i'm going to mention this at uh, i don't know when we're going to do it but eventually we're going to get to a point where we're going to have a guest come on and we're going to say okay guest you come on and you give us a topic with no advance warning just tell us what you want to talk about and put us on the spot and we're going to come up with something and i i want to build to that so we're just kind of like flexing the muscles with stuff like this let's make it a little bit more difficult uh so that it's not you know because you know, I've been thinking about Jason movies and and uh, you know and Goonies for decades, but like Street Same. Fighter, I mean, I haven't thought about Street Fighter in ten years or more. You know, <laughs> so like right. this is what makes it fun for me. And that's and that was the whole concept behind this episode is like I, I can't remember why this came. We were talking about video games, like because we've always talked. You know, we mentioned at the very first episode the video games were going to be a part of it. And we were talking about video games and video game movies. And I think you were the one that mentioned Street Fighter, and it was like. Holy crap. Yeah, that movie sucked. What could we do better? <laughs> it was one of those things. But yeah, we went down this this crazy rabbit hole um, of all these different video game properties that we could touch on. And and I have some some fun ideas. I'm trying not to think about them too much, but um, that I, I really do think we could we could do some something interesting with. But I liked doing this one because, yeah, like you, I haven't really thought much about Street Fighter outside of playing the game. And I don't know how long, like I, the, I haven't even played Street Fighter five. Like I played a touch of Street Fighter four. Um, I literally played a handful of rounds with my friend Steve. Um, that was about it. And the, even though I own it, I just never really got into it. Um, Street Fighter two and Street Fighter three. I played a lot of when I got the Capcom collection. But again, who cares about the story? It's just fighting games. Like it was yeah. just me just like fighting like. I didn't give a shit about the story. Now, Mortal Kombat, I care about the story because I, I actually like what they do with the story there. Um, but Street Fighter, it was always like weird, like organizations and gangs and, and like military stuff. And like it all seemed so weird that it never really properly connected for me anyway. Um, so I was just like, let me play the fighting game. So, yeah, this was interesting for me because, like I said yesterday, when I watched the film, it was the first time in well over a decade that I had seen it. And I was like, oh, God, like what are we doing with this? <laughs> like, <laughs> it was very uh, daunting. <laughs> yes. It, oh, it was exactly. I mean, sometimes like being scared by something is kind of like, uh, that's because that's part of the fun. You know, so I watch horror movies, right? It's like fun Absolutely. to be scared, but yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I, I was the one who suggested street fighter and I did it because, you know, we've talked about movies so far in our episode since we started, we haven't started with a TV property, but we did a TV, uh, show bible with the police academy and chill uh so i thought we we mentioned games uh and you know so far in every one of the intros but we never really talked about games that much so i thought we gotta do a game episode but i'm not a gamer i i don't really play video games i have played i played mortal kombat when it first came out in like 93 Mm. was that 92 yeah and i have literally never played it since then any version of it. i've watched you play it at your house a couple of times yep but even that was more than a decade ago you know i don't play games i've never owned a playstation of any number one two three four five you know <laughs> right. I, I've, I've never had a sega genesis or a dreamcast or any of that um i've had nintendos i never even owned an n64 and i never had uh, a wii u um, but yeah, you know, NES and GameCube and Switch, but I play games with my kids. My kids have DSs and they've got, they had an Xbox and, you know, my kids are more into it than I am. So I'm just not a gamer. It's just, you know, I have right. so many other properties and, and, and pop culture things that I'm super into. So, uh, for me, it was all about, uh, 
this is really, really heavily nostalgia for me. Like if we were going to do a video game specifically, then I wanted to do something, you know, from the VHS era, but more of like the NES era, you know? Right. I was thinking, can we, can we do, you know, Super Mario Brothers or like Metroid or something that I actually know about? So for right. me, Street Fighter was like, okay, what when I was a kid, what were the biggest games in the world, you know? And Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter were like the shit, you know, when, oh, yeah. when you know, we were like 12, 13, 14 years old. So that's why I suggested it. I was like, of those two, I've played Street Fighter and I used to play it a bunch, you know, with my with my my, my buddies down the street when I was 13. So right. that, that's, that's what this was about. It was like, okay, let's pick something that I know at least a little bit about so I'm not completely in the dark and we'll just go. And it was the challenge of, you know, having fun with it. Um, to be fair, Mortal Kombat didn't really need a, a, an update because the original movie is still fun. The sequels, yeah, but the original movie is still fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I never saw any. I only I did see the original movie. I went with some friends of mine who were really big into Mortal Kombat at the time, and I, I used to go to my, my my other friend Josh. There's lots of Joshes. My other friend Josh <laughs> that I, I was friends with when I was like 13. I would go to his house and he would play. Uh, I mean, and that's that's where I played the original game too, like at his house. But I was never that good at it. Um, mm-hmm. I was pretty good at Street Fighter. I used to play Guile. Um, but, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat for me was always something, like, ah, you know, again, I knew about it because I watched it and it was like in the zeitgeist, but I, yeah. it was just never, never really my thing. You know, but Re- Resident Evil 2, I think I actually borrowed Resident Evil from you and maybe even the whole console when I, when I moved uh, yeah, back, yeah. back to Buffalo from Rochester in like 2006 or something because I moved and I didn't like have anything to do. <laughs> It was um, the GameCube, uh, the remake of Resident Evil. I loved. Okay, I, yeah. I remember that because I, I was like, "Dude, you got to play this." <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I moved and I forget what it was. Like we didn't. We, yeah, we didn't have. We 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 weren't going to get our internet hooked up for like a week or something. And I was like, "What am I going to do?" <laughs> yep. You know, I was like I got comics and books and stuff to read, but so much of my stuff was still in 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 uh, storage. So yeah, you. Lent, I remember you lent me some games, and that was the first time I'd ever played it. So yeah, in 2006, I played Resident Evil for the first time. Right. Um, but anyway. Um, so yeah, I think that this was good. I think we did a pretty good job. I want to ch- completely change gears, uh, mm-hmm. and and as we introduced in our last episode, I want to visit Correction Corner, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and talk about something that we messed up in a previous episode. And uh, this was once again uh, Count Creepyhead himself, uh, who men- who brought up something that we completely forgot to even mention in our Goonies two episode, our third episode. Uh, Michael May pointed out that we failed almost completely to talk about Sloth, who yes. is obviously a huge character in the Goonies. He's a fan favorite. We mentioned his name a couple of times, but that was more in comparing who would fill the roles of Chunk and Sloth in the new version that we imagined. But we never really right. talked about what happened to the original Sloth. Right. I, you know, it's funny because in the back of my head while we were recording, I had thought about that, like, you know, it, it, mentioning something about Sloth. And I just figured by this point, like, all the Goonies are adults. Like, Sloth would have passed away. Like, I mean, it just would have been, you know, many, many years later. So you figure, like, if these, if the, the Goonies were, what, like, 11, 12 in the first movie and Sloth mm-hmm. was, you know, like, a middle-aged man, um, now we're going to fast forward 30 years where the Goonies are, you know, middle-aged men and you know so i figured sloth would have 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 passed away by that point um so i didn't bring it up during the episode but that was like in my head canon 
of like, well, yeah, you know, so, you know, he lived, he went and lived with Chunk and his family and like, he was like his, his weird older brother or like, you know, his, his uncle or something and became part of the family. And then eventually, you know, years down the line passed away. That's, that was my thinking. Yeah, I agree. And I think we, we should have mentioned it um, because I would have said almost the exact same thing that, you know, at the beginning of the movie, when we we're introducing our characters at some point, somebody would have like looked at like a framed picture on the wall yes. of like young chunk and sloth and made some comment about, Oh, you know, I wish, I wish he could come with us or something like that, you know? And then yeah. I think it would be cool if, if later on in the movie, at some point when adult uh, 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 chunk, what's his name? Uh, Lawrence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when at some point, you know, when he when he gets to be the hero for like a minute, even if it's just like negotiating with like uh, you know a, a boat captain to take him to the next island or something. At some point, we get he has to have like a minute where we, he gets a little win, and then just maybe maybe he just like opens up his like uh, his sweater or his hoodie or he unzips his jacket and he's got that Superman shirt on underneath. Yeah, you know that would have been that, cool. That was like his hero moment and his callback, you know, to his buddy. But I think I think that's all we we, we would have needed, you know, to yeah. pay respect to Sloth without uh, trying. I don't think that having having a new Sloth would have just no. been completely problematic. So we weren't going to go there. I, that's yeah. That was one of the things I I, I had mentioned. It, uh, I was talking to Dawn about it, and I was like, I don't think the character of Sloth could be done now. Um, so yeah, we just kind of, <laughs> we wouldn't have had him in this movie anyway for that very reason is it's like, it's, it's, it, when you look back at it with, uh, with modern eyes on that original movie, it's like, oof, there's some rough stuff in there. We, <laughs> we talked about that in the, in the, in the episode, but yeah, the sloth is one of those, one of those things where it's like, man, they, they did that, didn't they? <laughs> like, <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. I, so, I, I do appreciate that they at least, um, the filmmakers and the kids at least treated Sloth as a real person with some respect to him. And yes. they they portrayed the fact that his abuse at the hands of his family was obviously wrong and, you know, and brutal. And yes, the, some of his characteristics were really over the top and stereotypical to the point of being offensive. But at the time, it really felt like the filmmakers had their hearts in the right place because they were trying to show that this person who was being abused for, quote unquote, you know, being a monster or, or a mutant or whatever, in reality, was a was a, a, a real person with you know his own personality. And you know he deserved to have a better life and that, you know, Chunk was going to give him that life. So the Goonies didn't just go and like find a treasure and and find one at Willie. But, you know, they rescued Sloth and they really were heroes. Right. And it's, it's very much like we had mentioned on the the police academy and chill. It's like, you know, some some of this, uh, you know, offensive stuff, the stuff from the 80s that we would see as offensive now. If you look at it through the right lens, like what they were actually going at, it always had heart. You know, it, it always was like it was coming from a good place while maybe offensive by today's standards. It was still coming from a good place. So I agree. Yes. Uh, what they were trying to do with the character was definitely a very um you know lovable thing like they were trying to to do the right thing with it but yeah it, it, it looking at it now it's like oof that's a little rough so 
Yeah, yeah. But okay, yeah. So I'm glad we got a chance to at least uh, at least cover that, so that we wouldn't have uh, you know everybody forever asking us what happened to Sloth. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of other stuff that we probably forgot, messed up, confused. This is the second time we've made a correction to the Goonies episode. I'm sure that those corrections we'll have to make to our Nightmares on Elm Street episode. But whatever, uh, we'll get to that. So um, for Mike, uh, or for now, Mike, <laughs> where can people find you on the socials? Uh, well, uh, there's you can find the the Boogeyman's Closet uh, on Rad Pantheon actually, uh, if you go check out RadPantheon.com. But the Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram, and at Boogeyman's The on Twitter. Uh, Zarakis, that's Z-A-R-A-C-I-S, is my personal Instagram where I post all my art, and uh, Mike Alvarez art on Etsy. Also, uh, as mentioned before, Rad Pantheon is going to have all this, but. Also a, a co-host on Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash, which you can find at Count Creepyhead on both Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate mentioning Red Pantheon. Uh, that is a sort of art collective or a community of uh, artists, uh, musicians, podcasters mostly, uh, and a few other folks that you know we all know. And we've just banded together just to sort of help each other out and you know, and a team up of like-minded, pop culture-obsessed uh, creative types. <laughs> so yeah, you can go check out all those things I mentioned, again, the art and the podcast and all that stuff Mike mentioned as well at redpantheon.com. One more time. And on that list as well is uh, Comics Boost, uh, which is a place on Instagram and Twitter where I spotlight crowdfunding campaigns for comic book projects uh, that I think deserve to become reality. So if you're a fan of comics or want to check out some cool uh, creative projects, uh, come check out Comics Boost. Just spell comics with an X. Uh, and you can visit me at The Strasberg pretty much everywhere else on the socials uh, for my personal pages and uh, come chat with me about 90s comics uh, and with that <laughs> uh, I should also mention that you can find us uh, on the socials uh, pretty much everywhere at raised by rentals or raised by rentals.com for more information about this podcast we would love your feedback whether there's corrections or anything else and uh, you know whatever app, uh, podcast app you prefer we would love a rating a comment whatever and let us know what we should improv improve next time with that I'm Josh uh, Mike and we have to return some videotapes. Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support Rad Stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. Boom! <laughs>